All right. Welcome to the show. We are going to be taking a deep dive today with my guest, Adam Wills, on what he calls narrative transportation. So a little bit of a twist. We're going to dig deeper into that topic today. But these are skills he's learned after a 15-year law enforcement career. And, uh, you know, Adam's cracked the code for CEOs as it relates to identifying their core focus, which, well, what should be their core focus, company growth and getting more customers. You know, we both share a common goal here. So today's episode, I'm really looking forward to. It's going to be a great one. Adam, welcome to the show. What's up, Jeff? Thanks for having me on. Yeah, well, you're welcome. I mean, it's every Tuesday at noon we do this show. So uh, love having great guests on. I'm happy you're here, man. It's always good to be on the other side of the mic, man. <laughs> yeah, right. Right. It's always, and it's always nice having uh, uh, somebody who hosts as a guest because they know how to behave. It's always good, right? And if you're watching this show in a video, you might look at Adam with that like magnificent beard and say, well, there's a guy who doesn't know how to behave. But as far as it relates to podcasting, he knows how to be a good a good guest. So there you go. That's right. Um, <laughs> but uh, let's, uh, let's set the table a little bit um, for narrative transportation. And, and let's just kind of walk back through the law enforcement career. What made you get out of that? Uh, what you learned and, and re- what brought us... Uh, to the seat you're sitting in today. Yeah, you know, um, what brought me out of it, really, honestly, it wasn't actually my choice. It wasn't my timing when when I left my law enforcement career. I, I honestly was one of those that I thought, hey, you know what, I'm, I'm a lifer. I'm going to be in law enforcement to the day that I am either forced to retire or I croak, whether that's on duty or off. Um, and uh, that's just what wasn't, that's not what the Lord had in store for me, um, quite frankly. So, um, I, I departed because I was actually in an appointed position. I was the undersheriff, uh, of the sheriff's office. Mm. I was with second in command of the sheriff's office. So I was a political appointment from the elected sheriff. And, um, unlike your, um, your average deputy or officer, uh, that has those, those protections of employment, uh, the undersheriff does not. And so, because you, you operate at the will of the sheriff, uh, and you're employed at the will of the sheriff. Well, my sheriff ran for re-election in a contested primary, and uh, uh, the election uh, did not go his way by uh, like 120 votes. And so, oh, wow. uh, I had I had six months uh, to to pack my bags and figure out what was next. And um, it was a bit challenging for me, admittedly. Um, I uh, was not quite sure where I wanted to go. I had I had several job offers with with other law enforcement agencies. Um, I'd actually spent four years as a deputized U.S. Marshal on the U.S. Marshals Task Force and um, uh, was was given the opportunity to have my application sponsored with them. But the reality was, you know, my wife and I, we moved to the place where we live uh, because we wanted to be here. And, uh, you know, we we live out in the country and, and we enjoy that. And we're close to her family and uh, our kids are close to their cousins and their grandparents and aunts and uncles. And we said, you know what? I we don't want to change that. And I had this moment where I had to decide for myself uh, in my career. I said, well, what's more important to me right now? Is it is it my career or is it my family and my kids? And although that decision was really difficult for me because I loved my law enforcement career, um, I decided that wasn't where my priority lie and it was time for something different. And uh, I'd... Um, I dabbled in marketing for for quite some time. I actually started building websites when I was a kid on my grandpa's computer. 
and uh, had been freelancing on the side during my law enforcement career as kind of a hobby. And so it was the natural progression um, for me. And, and I decided to take that business full time. Yeah. Very interesting genesis of how you're here. Uh, on the note of local election, you know, your sheriff lost his vote or his seat by 120 votes. You know, our show is not about politics or political things, but you know, there, there's a lot of, there's a lot of sentiment out there right now about our political landscape. And what I will dig into, and maybe you can follow it up just a touch is, you know, our society runs on more than a four-year presidential election. And you're evidence of that. Mm -hmm. 120 votes is all it took. Yeah. You know, there yeah. are opportunities to be involved in our thing, in our Republican democracy, more than voting for the president every four years. And then yeah. what most do is just down, you know, down party, vote the ticket. Mm -hmm. So, you know, yeah, there's a lot of sentiment. There's a lot of things going on. I'm not going to weigh in on any of that. I'm just going to remind everyone listening. You just heard a gentleman say 120 votes. That's not a lot. And there is opportunity to be involved in local elections, run for local office, be involved in your local school board, you know, and be a part of a conversation, bring constructive ideas and criticisms and be willing to have that conversation. And you'll find, you'll find our thing is a little more uh, welcoming and bringing in when you just look beyond to vote every four years. So what say yeah. you on that? And on that I'll, experience you've had? Yeah, I'll add to that by saying uh, that, that it's also our civic duty to be knowledgeable about um, mm -hmm. what our government does, um, both at the federal, state, and local level. Um, it, it amazes me, you know, I spent that time in uh, the latter part of my law enforcement career as a political appointed undersheriff, and I got to really see just how the community at large interacts um, with, with their government at that level. And it always, it just amazed me the number of people that were uneducated or didn't understand really what um, their their vote was for, right? And um, a lot of people don't vote in primary elections because they don't see it as being something that is uh, paramount or important. And so, um, you know, we saw evidence of that and, you know, with, without rehashing details of that, because it's, it's, it's gone, it's in the past. But, um, you know, we had a lot of people, the sheriff and I reach out to us afterwards and we're like, I don't know how that could have happened. And the question that he and I always followed up with was, well, did you vote in the primary? Well, no, I didn't think that anybody would actually make that decision to vote for him. <laughs> and so right. the number of people that would say that were like, well, hey, you know, you got to show up, right? And so yep. um, elections do have consequences. And sometimes it takes a while too. And I think, uh, again, without getting on a soapbox or making your show political here, because that's not what it's about. We've seen evidence of that recently with SCOTUS decisions. Um, those, mm -hmm. are, those are decisions that have um, been, you know, 50 years in the making. Right, because of uh, elections that happened 50 years ago uh, with those appointments, yep. and so uh, elections do have consequences. Sometimes it's more immediate than others. Yeah, yeah, a hundred percent. And you know, uh, in the pre-show, I had to do a quick wardrobe change in the corner of my office because I started a clothing brand. It's in my guest notes. Signer Fifty Seven. You're a customer. You bought something from me, and I did. Yeah, uh, you know, Signer Fifty Seven is about standing in the sacrifice of our. 56 signers of the Declaration of Independence and then the battle with the British crown to, you know, really cement our nation from July 4, 1776 through to the Constitution. 
And when you talk about folks that are undereducated on topics of both present and past, boy, I'm learning a lot building that brand. So knowledge, knowledge really is power. And, and, you know, I'm glad we kind of took the time here because it's, it's important in your life locally, politically, because I mean, Mm -hmm. my involvement locally with local school board is I discovered an immense amount of people who didn't understand that property taxes were levied by your local school board. You know, which that affects everybody's pocketbook, whether you own a home or rent. So to bring this back to why we came together today, knowledge is power. Understanding things is power in your personal life, political life, if you choose to go down that road. But it's also real important in business uh, to be super knowledgeable about everything. And that's the problem, right? Running a business, you got to wear many hats uh, as a business owner. So let's... Like, let's start talking about this narrative transportation thing, because I have a feeling you have a lot to say on the topic. Yeah, uh, narrative transportation is really kind of a big bucket. Um, And it's not so much, I want to make sure everybody knows, especially those um, that are are entrepreneurs, business owners, marketers themselves, um, because that's how I'm going to apply this today. I want you to know that this isn't a... Uh, a tactic or a tool so much as it is an understanding of the human psyche um, that then can be applied, right? So um, there, my first uh, my, my first um, awareness, I guess we'll say, of narrative transportation theory um, came in my law enforcement career. And the concept of narrative transportation theory, which has been around for a long time, um, actually just proposes that when people lose themselves in a story, their attitudes and intentions change to reflect that story. So if we can understand that about human psyche, this this concept of transportation theory has been used and applied in a lot of different ways. And so how I was first presented, it was actually um, in, in my law enforcement career, I was a master certified interviewer interrogator. And uh, we we studied this concept of narrative transportation in an interview interrogation course that I went through. And the way that it was applied there was to just say, hey, we need to start from a basis of understanding that the human brain is wired to understand story. Um, humans have been communicating through story for, for thousands of years. I mean, uh, you can yeah, look no mean- further. Yeah, go ahead. Yeah, original artifact, you're probably getting there. Original artifact is drawings. Yeah, yeah, exactly, right? We have um, cave drawings and and uh, uh, those sort of things. Um, but, I mean, you can look no further than the Bible too, right? I mean, Jesus taught using parables, right? And so mm-hmm. um, their story is a powerful thing because our brains just understand it. We, we, can, we can become captivated by story. I mean, think about the last movie that you went and saw and you really got into that movie. And for that hour and a half or two hour period of time, you were immersed in that movie and in that, in that story that was being told and everything else that's going on around you kind of just becomes lost. Right. Um, and, and so we apply that understanding, at least in this interview interrogation standpoint, by being able to say, Hey, we want to create, we want to do, um, uh, rapport-based, non-confrontational interviews with with subjects, right? Um, it's not what you see in the movies where there's good cop, bad cop, and somebody's kicking over a table and you know slapping <laughs> the suspect around in the corner or any that right. nonsense, right? The idea is, hey, we build a rapport with the person that we're speaking to. And 
once that rapport is built, we want to establish um, them having the opportunity to tell their story, right? And so if an incident that we're investigating occurred, you know, let's say later at night or in the evening time, we want to take them all the way back to the very beginning of their day and say, all right, um, we've, you know, established this rapport now. Let's talk about your day. Tell me the story of your day. What happened when you first woke up in the morning? When did you get up? Okay. And they'll tell you, oh, I got up at seven o'clock. Okay. Was, did you get up by an alarm or was it something else? Right. And you just get them to start telling a story that is natural to them that has very little, if any, consequence. And once they start telling their story, they, people just, they fall into their own story, right? And they, and they become yep. so immersed in it that it just, they just start spewing out the story without really putting any thought into it. And therefore, once we get to the moment in time where an incident happened, um, they jump over that, right? Like all of a sudden there's this big gap and you're like, wait a second, you've been telling this very <laughs> detailed story up to this point and now you've just skipped over this gap of time. And so the idea here of leveraging story is that it makes it a lot more obvious to the interviewer when there's gaps in their story and something mm, is missing or they're not being as descriptive as they had been then we know that there's something that they're trying to um, hide their cards about, right? Um, and so that's how we understood and leveraged this idea of narrative transportation uh, from an interview interrogation standpoint. Yeah. You know, so I always try to look for the, the moments for listeners and watchers to pull out great example, but like applying it right to business. So I'll go first and share what I heard is tell me, right? Tell me the story. So in my retail business, and, and I was sharing in the pre-show, uh, we're, we're under a lot of stress at the moment. We've got vacations. We've got somebody that is sick and out for a few days at the moment. Uh, we got a model project. So I had to be on the sales floor for a rare instance. So, so rare, like I almost lose the sale because I don't know how to process a financing app anymore. I struggle with our point of sale system because there's been multiple upgrades where things change. It doesn't look the same. And that's just not my core focus in that business anymore. I just, I, that is not where my gifts lay. My gifts are in driving direction of the company and the vision of it. But, uh, you know, I'm working with a guest, but I can always go back to, and this is our process of, of working with our prospects and customers that come into the store is simply put, tell me why you're shopping for a mattress today. Mm -hmm. And that begins that story. It's almost like, let's go back to the beginning. Yeah. Why, why is the one you're on? Why has that failed you? And we follow that process down through. Like, you know, sometimes people are abrupt and they're, they're, they've kind of geared themselves up for the song and dance of buying a mattress at retail in a store, right? So they're like, well, mine's worn out. I need a new one. Okay, mm -hmm. well, so tell me how old yours is. I don't know, it's old. You know, and in those hardcore people, you just stay with it. And we say, okay, so tell me then why today? Why this morning did you decide uh -huh, today yeah. is the day to come out and shop for a mattress? And it's typically that third or fourth layer you crack the egg, so to say. So if you're listening and watching, like take what Adam just shared about moving back and in, into that place of comfort, right? Which is, I think, really the lesson. Yeah. Right. Moving the person in front of you back to that. I love this. Moving the person back to that place of comfort. That's very cool. 
Yeah. So, I mean, there's, there's a few core principles to understand here. And, and, and I don't know if you knew this, Jeff, but, um, what, what you did in that example you just gave, um, is actually a very fundamental piece of this because, uh, the, the reality about buying decisions is that people don't buy things to solve an external problem, right? The external problem being, mm-hmm. I need a mattress, right? Um, that's not what actually gets people to pull dollars out of their wallet and say, here, I'm going to buy this from you. What people do is they purchase things to overcome an internal problem. And that internal problem is how the external problem makes them feel, right? So the fact that I need a mattress is creating some sort of anxiety or discomfort in me because I'm, I've got, you know, my back is killing me. I'm sick of sleeping on that thing. And what you did in that line of questioning is got to the core of, what is the internal problem? What is the discomfort that it's creating for them? And I don't just mean physical discomfort. I mean an internal discomfort. Um, and, and that's, I think, what we forget uh, about as business owners and marketers. Um, one of the mistakes that we make is that we don't, we fail to recognize that every human being, and this is part of this narrative transportation concept, every human being is living their own story. And the Every human being believes that they are the hero of their own story. Okay. And so we, we have to, we have to first recognize that. And the mistake we make is that we try to, when we're putting together marketing messages or sales processes, we try pulling people into our story. And that's not what they want. We need to enter into their story. Yep. That they're already living. Yeah, we're like mind melting right now because my next question to you was going to be as a, you know, somebody that focuses intentionally on marketing, works with clients kind of pre-show we discussed, you work in that fractional chief marketing officer role, you help with marketing. My next question was going to be, how can you take these lessons of narrative transportation and overlay it with your marketing messages, with your advertising? you know, the things that are on your website. How do people do that? How do they, how do they stop being the hero of their story and get into the supporting cast of their customer's hero story? Yeah, that's an excellent question. And, and to, talk, to lead that off, I want to say, um, I want to give credit where credit is due here too. Um, so narrative transportation theory has been around a long time, but from the marketing angle, uh, StoryBrand actually put all of this together in a really um, cohesive and executable framework. And, and that was really where I had my light bulb moment in this because after I left my law, enforce, a law enforcement career and started my marketing agency, um, I didn't know anything of StoryBrand. And uh, somebody actually handed me the book one time, Building a StoryBrand by Donald Miller. And I read that book and I had this light bulb moment and I went, wait a second, I recognize... What's going on here? This is narrative transportation theory. And so in that moment, I recognized um, that, because uh, I'll admit, I, I just I have to admit here, I was struggling with some uh, imposter syndrome uh, running a marketing agency post my law enforcement career. And in that moment, I went, wait a second, I actually, I know this stuff. And I have a leg up that really no other marketer or marketing agency has because I've applied narrative transportation theory in real life in, in, in the, you know, boots on the ground. Right. And so, um, StoryBrand has, has that framework, uh, that really puts this into, 
into play and is based upon narrative transportation. So the first thing we need to understand is, again, we, we already said the hero is the, the, or the customer is the hero of the story, not you, not your brand, not your business. Um, the second thing that we have to understand is that there's that problem, right? They're all trying to solve a problem. Um, they have an external problem uh, that we talked about, an internal problem, which is how it's making them feel. And then a philosophical problem, which just says, hey, this is why it's just plain wrong that you should be suffering from this problem in the first place. But then the next element is is probably the most important one to understand here, because like you said, well, where does that leave me? Where does that leave my company? How do we play a supporting role? Well, the other thing to understand from a human psyche standpoint is that as we're going through life in our own story and trying to overcome problems of day, daily life that lead to purchasing decisions, we all naturally are looking for a mentor. We want somebody to guide us and tell us that here's a proven path. Here's a way to do it. Here's how you overcome that problem because we don't want to create more angst for ourselves. We don't want to create more discomfort and harm and, uh, and more problems along the way. We want a proven path and we want to know that there is a way to actually overcome that. And so the way that you position yourself and your brand is as the guide. Um, is the terminology that StoryBrand uses, the guide, the mentor uh, that that can say, hey, uh, I've been there, I've done that, I've helped others, and here's the plan and how we're going to actually move forward and overcome this problem together. Yeah. Uh, I mean, that's, that's something that we do, I'm not afraid to say it, exceptionally well in our retail business. It's It's what has afforded us uh, in part of this remodel, I, I mentioned briefly, um, we built a customer experience and engagement center, and we have three, three ring binders that have a spine that is about four inches thick, filled with handwritten testimonials. So when I say we do this well, it's my customers backing that statement up, and I can drop the proof on the desk with a thud three times over for you. Mm-hmm. Um, Long ago, we said we, you know, I coined and copyrighted the phrase infotail, informational based selling through a retail front door, right? Being that guide, being that educational resource and partner. So everything that Adam just said, you know, it really is, is summed up in that term guide. Um, you know, so many times you go to buy something and, you know, I'm a marketing geek. I, I have tons of old marketing books and courses and programs and, so much of today of advertising and marketing a business, the salesmanship in, in media, I was about to say print, but in media overall, is just gone. We, we've, we've reverted back to pictures. And then that picture has a price and then it has a deadline. And that is, right? Like that's 100% telling the story of the seller, the merchant, the provider. Mm-hmm. That's not getting into the journey of the customer. Right. I mean, that's the way I look at it. Um, you, you mentioned, let's, let's take a little left turn here. You mentioned, um, imposter syndrome, you know, and that's, that's, I think, yeah, it's a very appropriate term. Uh, Mm -hmm. when I say it's a cliche term, I don't mean to insult it. I don't mean to like step on it or anything. Um, but it's, it's said an awful lot. And, and I always, when people throw it out, I always ask them, what were the emotions for you? What were those things running through your head? Because I think people struggle to understand what this means for themselves. 
So for you in that moment where you had that, those moments of imposter syndrome with your agency starting out, what, what, what that, what did that sound like in your mind? If you don't mind sharing with everybody listening yeah. and watching. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, so, you know, I spent 15 years in law enforcement and, and, uh, when you're in law enforcement, it's, uh, it's the type of career where you pour every single thing, uh, that you do and all of the education, the learning into that career. Right. So when I, when I, it came time for me to decide to leave, I felt like, I don't, I don't have any applicable skills anywhere outside of this. I thought that that was what I was telling myself. Um, and my, where, where the imposter syndrome first became very tangibly real to me, um, it was, I think within six months after I left my law enforcement career, I went to the Denver digital summit. Okay. And the digital summit is like the biggest marketing event, uh, for marketing agencies and marketers in general. And I was like, you know, I want to go and I want to learn some things. I want to uh, get some resources. There was, you know, exhibit with a vendor show and all those things. Like, you know, I'm just, I'm going to try and pour into my own knowledge and education. And I went to that and, you know, I've, I've dressed the same way for a long time, right? I wear 5'11 pants and I wear my Danner boots and a polo shirt. And I Love go it. in, I go to this, um, this marketing summit. And I look around and I, I'm the only one dressed that way, right? And of course, I'm carrying concealed and, you know, all those things. And uh, I look around <laughs> and everybody's wearing, you know, loafers and, uh, <laughs> you know, whatever they wear. And I was like, man, I do not belong here is what I kept telling myself. I'm like, why am I, why am I even here? I don't, I stand out like a sore thumb amongst uh, all these thousands and thousands of people here. Um, and I've always been the type that I can talk to anybody. I could build a rapport with anybody. I can hold a conversation. Um, you know, that doesn't bother me, but I still felt wildly out of place. And, um, you know, that, that was, that was the struggle. It was real. I kept telling myself, um, that I didn't, that I didn't belong, even though I knew that I had, um, some, some things that some skills that I could bring to the table. And, the the moment for me, like I said, was really when I understood that, wait a second, marketing is really persuasive writing. I know persuasive writing because every time I write a report, I'm trying to persuade the district attorney to prosecute the case. And I'm trying to persuade the defense attorney that their, their client is guilty and that there's no reason for them to take this to trial, that they should just take whatever is offered to them, right? So I get persuasive writing. And then I found out about this application of narrative transportation theory and under the story brand framework. I'm like, all right, you know, I, I, I've really got this thing. And it gave me the confidence that I, that I needed um, at that time yeah. to be like, you know, I, I, I do know what I'm doing here. I'm not an imposter. And in fact, I, I'm making myself very unique and I'm carving out a niche that um, nobody else can really stand, stand into like I can. Yeah, yeah. Uh Thank you for sharing that because I, I like hearing everybody's moments where they just said, all right, I do have something here. I do have something to offer in this world. And, I, and I'll remind anybody listening and, and watching this, um, you know, I say listening and watching in case you're a new listener tuning in, we record this show live, live streaming out on social media channels. So that's why I clarify it that way, just to close that loop for people. But you said you you know you you understood your value, you recognized you have value. Um, you know, if you're into like sports cards, athletics, marketing, 
sales, whatever niche of anything you want to be into, you know, for me, it's marketing, right? And like, I guess leadership is another offshoot of that. I'll talk to friends and family about this person or that person. I say, I got to meet this person. And they say, who? (laughs) Right. And like the biggest one, you'll like this. um, You've heard the song, Mr. Red, White, and Blue. uh, Cafe Mm -hmm. Anderson, country guy. Yeah. It's like number one in like six or seven. It used to be we had Billboard, right? Now we've got every app and streaming platform has its own rank. Right. The cafe's got like the nut, well, over 4th of July weekend, because it was very appropriate for the weekend. Uh, the downloads leading up to it were just through the roof. He had number one in like six or seven platforms. Great song, great patriot, great American, great story. If you have the chance to study Cafe Anderson and his story, you should and look his grand old Opry um, performance up and it will move you. And if you don't, I like check your blood pressure. So, um, so when I talk about like, you know, when you talk about understanding your value, I share like coffee as an example. Like, here's a guy making it in Nashville as an African American man. Nashville's told him, Hey, tone down that Christianity and patriotism stuff, which I'm not even going to get into all that. But that made me very upset to hear. Makes his own lane. Number one in like six or seven charts. And so many people don't know him. And I expand on this. I've been going on about it because here's the lesson. If you have value and you've done it and you know you can do it for others, that's your thing. Lean into it. And don't let anybody tell you you can't because you know what? There's 330 million, 337 million people in this country alone. And with the gift of what we're doing right now, digitally, you're, I mean, really, the world's your oyster. So mm-hmm. step into that superpower. Like I refer to him often, Brandon Brittingham, one of my prior guests at the end of my intro as we bring the show on. He's like, there's nothing wrong with being humble, but you are, a, you are, there's also nothing wrong with stepping into your superpower. So I love yeah. that you identified your value. Anything to add to that? I know I kind of went on a little bit. No, that's all right. I, I I would just say, you know, it's interesting to me because it's both a a small world and a big world all at the same time, right? Um, you know, I say it's a small world. I, I make connections with people all the time that know other people that I know, and I would have never imagined that to happen. I mean, heck, uh, when I was in law enforcement, I went to a undersheriff's conference one year, and one of the uh, the guys that was working at a vendor booth was my football scrimmage mate from high school. And so, I mean, it's, it's a small world, man, but, but at the same time, there's opportunity for everyone. And, and my point is, is to just, um, be who you are, be genuine. And, and anymore, I believe that we are operating in a relationship economy. And I think it's only going to get that way even more so, um, as we're seeing our, our actual economy, um, having lots of challenges. And that's only going to mm-hmm. continue, I think, for the next year or two. Um, the relationship economy is really important. And what the relationship con- economy says is that as relationships grow, business grows. And so if we can just focus on being genuine and being authentic, that's where we start to carve out relationships. And so um, in a similar vein, uh, when when I stepped into what I knew um, coming out of that, um, that feeling of, of uh, uh, imposter syndrome, um, what I realized is that 
I had an opportunity to carve out my own niche. And we we work with all kinds of clients from all sorts of different walks of life and um, industries and, and whatnot. And I know several of them are actually watching the live stream right now. But where we have really found a niche because what I recognized is nobody else can really capture this, this niche the way that I and my team can um, is working with companies that are first responder or military veteran-led companies um, and working with uh, companies that are in what I like to call the assertive industries. And those are um, industries where they, their, their marketing has to be very direct and forward and assertive. So things like security and, and uh, dignitary protection and um, uh, you know, those sorts of uh, types of businesses. And so we've sort of carved out a niche there that nobody else can capture. And um, I, I like to share this som- sometimes, depending upon the audience, and I think I'm safe to hear, um, but it's not my words, it's my clients' words that we, we've gotten now from a number of different clients we work with. They tell us that one of the reasons they, they really love working with Breacher Marketing Group is because, um, again, their words were not snowflakes like the rest of the marketers that they've worked with before. <laughs> and so, yep. um, yeah. Well, so, there's, I mean, that, there's that relationship economy coming out. Exactly. Just be you. Step into who you are and those yeah. other things fall into place. Yeah, 100%. Um, I love that you touched on relationship economy because, again, in the world we're in right now, um, there's a fantastic book out there. Um, you know, no matter where you stand ideologically, you know, philosophically, ethically, morally, uh, this book, I think, can bring everybody into a conversation. It's called Suicide of the West by Richard Koch. It's a hard book to find. Um, there's other titles out there, similar uh, similar themed or similar worded rather. But if you can find it, it's a white cover. Simply simply put, Richard Koch, K-O-C-H. Fantastic book. And in one of the six pillars of downfall of, of Western, uh, uh, Western uh, nations, the Western world, is skepticism and cynicism. And I think we're at an all-time high. Uh, you know, and remember, your customer is a person. They're living out there in the same world you and I are. Um, you know, maybe, maybe financially, they might be a little different, right? As a business owner, mm-hmm. we kind of carve our own path, make our own success. You know, gas prices, yeah, I'm spending more on gas, but I'm not choosing one thing or the other, one thing over another because of it, right? So we need to remember our customers are out there dealing with things. Um, a lot of things and creating a relationship and exuding that through every way they can touch and connect into your company is so important. Um, I mean, we yeah. go as far in our retail business, like I have made an enemy out of the big name brands in the mattress industry because I despise how private equity and Wall Street destroy good companies when they buy them, despise it. Mm-hmm. And I'm a, I am a hands-off, low-regulation guy, but I have seen it in my 22 years in this industry. Time and again, it's the same recipe of how these companies come in and gut, and it's, it's criminal what ends up happening. It is criminal because it is an obvious playbook. So I'm always conflicted mm-hmm. as a low-regulation, small-government, asking for regulation guy because I see a consistent habitual behavior. Yeah. All that said, 
I've made an enemy out of these companies because the companies that I partner with are great family-owned companies. And I simply say this, it's hard to be a five-star company for you if my partners are three-star or less. Mm -hmm. And if you need to talk to my partners, I can dial them up anytime you want. And my guys on my team can too. And that's the depth of relationship we try to create. Yeah. Because a lot, a lot of people might think a mattress is this commodity-driven purchase. It's a third of your life. You know, mm -hmm. I like to say, we do business in your bedroom and who you sleep with matters. Right. <laughs> you know, so when you think about it that way, it, it's, it's, it's important. Um, so how are, uh, what other ways are you helping your clients, both in this relationship economy mindset, and then there's a handful of things uh, three, in fact, that you insist every business needs. So let's kind of dial in on those. Yeah. Um, so this is something that we've been, um, I don't want to say hyping a lot. I, I don't like the term hype. Um, but uh, as as we've been obviously moving into a recession, we've started running a webinar that we're going to be running uh, uh, weekly um, here for at least the next several weeks. Um, called the three steps to recession proof your business. And it covers this exact thing, obviously in more detail than we're going to cover here. Um, but, uh, the, there are really three fundamental, fundamental elements that are necessary uh, for us to be, um, in a position to weather a storm through an, a, a recession. And I think we saw a, a tidbit and a hint of this back in 2020, 2021 when there was a lot of forced closures of businesses and that sort of thing. And we saw a lot of um, businesses, unfortunately, um, fold up. And what we saw, though, was that the, the cream kind of rose to the top. And those that had a, a specific marketing plan in place and um, were prepared to weather that storm, they did, right? I mean, you don't, you don't throw on a, a homemade life vest and just go float in the ocean in the middle of a flood, right? You you jump on a lifeboat uh, because that lifeboat was built in a way that says, "Hey, I'm structurally sound. I've got a foundation. We're gonna we're gonna be we're gonna be good. We're gonna we're gonna get through this thing, right?" And so um, those three things I'll, I'll cover re really um, briefly are first and foremost, you need to craft a compelling offer. Okay, so your your offer needs to be very compelling, and and we we touched on. Um, some of the things, like like I said, the relationship economy and understanding uh, how um, to to grow those relationships. But when you craft a compelling offer, um, you know, just like Don uh, Corleone, Don Vito Corleone said, you know, I'm going to make him an offer he can't refuse. Well, you need to have an offer that is so good that people are going to feel stupid saying no, right? And that's that's really right. what it boils down to. Um, and there's a lot of elements that go into that uh, that compelling offer. One of the the probably most important is understanding, uh, and we already alluded to this earlier. The problem is always the hook. You that's where you catch people, not with shiny objects, not with flashy things, not with lots of uh, social media ad spend. Right? Um, we we capture people by saying, "Hey, here's the problem you're facing." We agitate that pain point a little bit so that they understand that we understand their problem. And so um, a compelling offer is significant, significant. The, uh, the second thing that I think is of paramount importance is that you need to have a lead generation system. So you need to have a means in place in order to be able to capture leads, 
um, and bring them in and nurture those leads into uh, interested prospects that are willing to buy things from you. And what people fail to understand in the process of marketing is that, um, generally speaking, only about 4% of the people that come to your website are actually ready to purchase things from you. Uh, the, yeah. other, the other 96%, they're just looking to either, A, they, they know they have a problem and they're just trying to find somebody to solve it for them and who's going to be the best fit to do that. Or they really don't even know they have the problem that needs solved in the first place. And so... Um, I always tell people if if you don't have a lead generation system and a means of of nurturing those people that ninety six percent that come to your website and aren't ready yet, then you're effectively just burying your head in the sand and ignoring them. And unfortunately, that's what most companies do. Even big companies, okay, oh, you go big to their companies website, and they're the worst. Yeah, yeah, they're you the go to their website. And it just says, buy from us. Well, I, I, I'm yeah. not ready to buy from you yet, right? They're just going straight to being on bended knee and making a proposal. And like, I'm, I don't want to get married yet. I just met you, you know? Yeah, don't, I, I like to say, don't treat your customers like the, I've, I've never been on Tinder, but I know, I know what it is. I know what it's about. Don't what yeah. is it, swipe left or right when you match, right? Like don't treat your customers like Tinder. Yeah. Don't treat opportunities that way. So many people just eat today what they kill today with their mm -hmm. marketing and yeah. the dollars they spend on advertising. They, they, they put, you know, five grand out in an ad campaign, maybe in print media, they put a thousand bucks out in an AdWords campaign and it's all geared to that 4% of the audience mm -hmm. at best. Yeah. But the reality is if they don't do number one, a compelling offer, and they don't have the aspects foundations and number two to maximize the casual interest later, mm -hmm. it, it fails. Yeah. yeah. They eat today what you kill today thing exists and so many people get it wrong with their marketing. They have not built the system. So number one, love it. Compelling offer. Got to have it. Number two, the foundation of capturing leads and nurturing them. Sorry to cut you off. I'll let you finish. No. Or maybe you have number three. You're great. No, I'll, I'll finish um, with number two. Just a couple other thoughts is that, uh, you know, you've got you've to be willing to give stuff away. And, and it amazes me the number of people in all industries that are like they're so guarded about their knowledge and the, and the things that they they have to share that you know I don't yes. want to give this thing away I want people to pay me for it well um you know I, here's my opinion I think I think if you are a business that is looking to gain prospects gain customers especially in an economy that we're entering into where the same number of companies are competing for a shrinking number of opportunities they have a right to understand how you think about something and how you approach it, whether it's a product or a service. They have a right to understand that in order to further them in their, their decision-making process yep. ab about buying. And so I, I take the position of giving everything away. I give away so much of my knowledge um, between my podcast and uh, through free online courses and all sorts of content that I put out there in my, my weekly emails. I just give everything I know away. And I was, <laughs> I was actually approached, this is a side note, I was approached by an editorial um, uh, uh, magazine recently that wanted me to write a series for them. And uh, the editor actually said to me, he says, but I, I don't want you to give away everything you know. And I, I just laughed and I said, well, I've already done that. I've given away everything. I said, but here's the thing. Most people don't want to put all the pieces together to actually do it themselves, right? So there's no harm in giving away right. your intellectual property, okay? 
Um, so give that knowledge away because that nurtures the relationship. It tells the prospect, hey, I know what I'm talking about. I know how to solve this problem. And I'm going to give you knowledge that is going to solve small problems for you that you're suffering from right now. Because when people can trust you to solve a small problem for them that didn't cost them anything, it creates this law of reciprocity where they now want to give back to you. And usually yep. that comes in the method of paying you to solve bigger problems for them. 100%. I'll, I'll just add to that before we move on to the last one. And then, um, so, you know, on giving away your information. So, you know, in the retail mattress business, one of our things that we talk about is we believe in the power of sleep. We want you to wake up happy so you have a better day. You leave the house not upset at your spouse, not hollering at your kids about the grief they gave you last night on homework. We want you to be an amazing member of our community because that's where we do business. If our community is not good, our business isn't good. Yeah. If we can help, you know, one person sleep better at a time, that's our goal. So like we give away this book, showing it on screen. We mail it mm -hmm. out for free. We give it away. Um, I don't know, seven, eight dollars every time we send one out between the cost of the book and the stamp and the envelope, you name it, plus the time to do it. So it's probably more like 10. But we believe in that. And it would be foolish to think, well, you need to have a hundred percent of those book people become customers. That's just foolish because we believe in the power of sleep. And we believe if we get enough of those books out, our community becomes that much better, which means we do that much more business. And the truth of the matter is, is yeah, some people haven't bought from us. And sometimes they haven't bought, but they've passed that book on to say their mom and dad that can invest with us. So they become a customer. And it's because we have that nurture system, point number two for you, uh, that things like that work and pay off. Yeah. So I, I love, yeah, you have to put a lot out there in this world and you may not like it. You may be a little rough with that idea, but you need to accept it and and make it part of what you do. Yeah. But the social, the reciprocity that you're creating by giving that book out, yep. I mean, even if it does cost you $10, how much does a mattress cost? Right? So, I mean, right. you, you can give out hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of those books. And if only one of oh, those yeah. people buys a mattress, well, it's paid for itself. Right? Yeah. I mean, you're, um, if you're a business owner listening, you know what advertising costs. Mm -hmm. I would I would much rather have, you know, a hundred hands raised asking for my book than spend a thousand dollars on more AdWords or more mm -hmm. new newspaper ads. One hundred percent I would have that. Yep. yep. Well, again, because you mentioned earlier in the show, there's a lot of skepticism and cynic cynicism anymore around yep. marketing and a lot of things. And what what you're doing is bypassing that that skepticism and cynicism from Facebook ads and Google ads and all of those things and just saying, hey, let's create a relationship. Here's a book, right? Yeah. So Yeah, I actually, uh, and we'll get to number three, but real quick, I actually opened up somebody's eyes on the phone yesterday. They asked about um, consumer reports and I very quickly went into the fact and you can look this up if you're listening. Just they're a public, uh, or a, their tax returns are public because they're a nonprofit company. I did the work, dug in deep, Consumer Reports has jumped the shark. They are an affiliate marketer for many industries and namely the mattress industry because in the last five years, the mattress industry has made it very easy 
for affiliate marketers of all types to make a lot of money in the way that they conduct business. Mm-hmm. So consumer reports, you just look at the tax returns, you can see that they are 100% in the bag for online mattress marketers. Mm-hmm. And once I pierced that bubble and had the conversation in more depth, took the order over the phone. Yeah. It yeah. very simple. Absolutely. So number three, number three, Adam, as we approach yep. the top of our time together. Number three is really straightforward. And it's just simply that you need to have a means of tracking and measuring the outcomes of your marketing campaigns. Um, this is something that most people don't do. Um, and yet, especially in a down economy, uh, you want to make sure that you're taking advantage of every dollar that you're spending and that uh, you're you're amplifying uh, where you're sending those dollars into places that work and not putting it in places that it doesn't. Um, and I really love to uh, share a system for this that it's really straightforward and simple because in the marketing world, there are so many different metrics that that we track, um, you know, between click-through rates and KPIs and lifetime value and all these different things, right? Um, and it could get really confusing. And so to make it simple, we we follow a system um, that is called the rule of 26. And, and I'm going to give props to my friend, uh, Michael Buzz Bazinski, who wrote the book, The Rule of 26, that you can see behind me. Um, him and I have become great friends. In fact, I'll pre-plug here um, that him and I are working on a sequel to that book that we're co-authoring together. Oh, very cool. Um, Congratulations. Thank you. Yeah, hopefully that'll be out here uh, sooner rather than later. But in the meantime, the rule of 26 is simple. It just says, uh, if you track only the metrics of the unique visitors to your website, your conversion rate, and your average revenue per client. Okay, so those are the only three metrics we want to track. And if you can increase each of those three metrics by 26%, the math works out every single time that it doubles your revenue. Um, and Interesting. 20, 26% increases in these metrics are not huge. Guys, we're not moving mountains. We're not, we're not doing incredible things, right? We're saying, okay, if you've got 2,000 unique visitors to your website, let's increase that to 2,520. If you've got a 2.5% conversion rate, let's change that. Let's bump that up to 3.15%. If your average revenue per per customer is $1,000, let's bump that up to 1260 And if you use... That's the example that I've got here. And if you use that, that, that will take your revenue from $50,000 to $100,000. It doubles it. And so wow. um, that's the system we use in our agency. We actually put together a dashboard for, for our clients that are on our um, what we call our roadmap program. Um, where we we take them through every one of the things that we described today and then some. Um, and then we transition into a strategy style um, uh, ongoing basis every month where we get together and we look at these numbers and we say, okay, where are we at? We look at the dashboard and here's where we're at. What do we need to do to increase this number? And we just continue trying to ratchet these up so that um, over the course of time, we're doubling revenue. Um, and it's a really straightforward approach. But um, the biggest thing is, is don't, don't just fly by the seat of your pants and start putting money into ads and all these other things and SEO and not actually knowing what it's gaining you. Um, that's yeah. just, it's just lighting money on fire. Right. Right. I mean, I love the focus. So 
you obviously work with folks. Um, I think we can pull this up. Uh, our producer, Jim, in the background, pushing the buttons, pulling the levers. Uh, you have something, uh, breachermarketing.com forward slash report. So for those not watching, um, if you're listening later, um, if you go to breachermarketing.com slash report, there we go. Uh, you can get a free marketing assessment from Adam. You've gotten to know him. Obviously, he's somebody who's going to pour into you, give you a lot of knowledge, but go there. And that's probably a really great place to start uh, to get to know Adam and get to know what he does and how he can help you uh, with those very key things of growing the business and getting more customers. Um, Adam, anything else you want to share as we wrap up our time? Yeah, I'll just say, you know, anybody that wants to go take that free marketing assessment, it's self-guided. Um, it just takes about, I don't know, five to 10 minutes usually, and then it'll it'll send you a report. But uh, if you get that, shoot me an email, um, adam at breachermarketing.com. I will book a call with you and go over it with you. Um, no cost, uh, not asking for anything, but I'll go over it with you and explain to you kind of where things are at, no obligation or expectation either. Um, and then go check out my blog too. So breachermarketing.com forward slash blog. It's called the Soup Sandwich Blog. It's everything you need to know to keep your marketing from turning into a sloppy mess. So um, go check that out and uh, um, follow along. Um, I, I put out a lot of crazy stuff in that blog that I get a lot of comical responses to. People find it a good chuckle. Thank you so much for taking the time to listen to this episode of The Big Ticket Life. You've heard from another amazing guest living their own big ticket life. And now it's time to live yours. First, I'd love for you to take me up on my free gift to you. Find your gift at gift.thebigticketlife.live. That's gift.thebigticketlife.live. See, all your life you've been told what is and what isn't possible by the loudest voices from the cheapest seats. It's time to finally do life and business on your terms. Sure, you've heard similar things, but without clarity on what can be done, it's easy to have your customers, employees, maybe even partners, and your spouse keep you from truly living a big ticket life. My big ticket methods shift you into that investor seat, in your business, away from commodity and away from competition, into a market of one, so you can finally live your own big ticket life. So my gift to you is for you to book your discovery call today, where we'll uncover first the Chivo behaviors, those chief everything officer behaviors, that hold you back and why moving into the investor seat in your own business is critical. Two, we'll uncover the premium position that's up for grabs right now in your market that you're missing out on. And three, which big ticket methodologies are just waiting to be dropped into your business to explode your sales and profits. So again, thanks for listening to this episode. I'd love for you to take action right now, accept this gift, book your call, go to gift.thebigticketlife.com Dot live. Again, that's a gift. Dot the big ticket life. Dot live.